Geneva Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. This week, my guest is Melody Adami, dubbed the Queen of Apps, who went on to launch Ontario's first private testing operation during COVID with labs that conducted over 350,000 COVID tests for individuals and companies and whose latest tech venture is also in health, this time focused on supporting women in their fertility journey. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship programs. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Melody quit her steady job working on brands like Dove, Hellman's, and Lipton to launch a company that would focus on the emerging world of mobile apps called Plastic Mobile. After a successful exit, she became the co-founder of FH Health, the very first private testing operation in Ontario that helps businesses keep their workforces safe. It became a leader in the COVID response with 20 clinics that provided individuals and clients such as Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and BMO with a sense of relief and safety. Melody's latest venture, Poland, is based on fertility-focused technology platforms to power a full suite of person-centric reproductive health services. As an influential leader in tech and a recognized voice in the industry, Melody also leads an executive women's dinner, which brings together the top female executives to discuss how to bring more women into more leadership roles. In 2017, she was awarded Canada's Top 40 Under 40, followed by recognition as one of Canada's Top 100 Powerful Women in in both 2018 and 2019 in the tech and trailblazer categories. Here is my conversation with Melody. Melody, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female today. Thank you for making time to speak with me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. I always start these conversations by going back in time. And I'm, I want to know when you were growing up, what did you dream of, you know, doing as a, as a career in your professional life later in life? And did you have any idea you'd own your own business one day? Um, so I think growing up, uh, you know, I, I probably faced all the challenges most young people face. You know, I, I remember turning 17, 18 and being in high school and, and sort of trying to figure out what happens next. Where do I go? So I actually, um, I'll tell you a little story. I visited my guidance counselor um, and I was applying for university. I was a confused. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, and he sort of sat me down and he asked questions to try to get me to where my interests are. And he said, um, you know, what are you interested in? I go, well, my favorite course right now is this programming course. I've taken it for several years and I really love it. You know, I, I think like that would be my favorite if you're asking. Mm-hmm. And he turns around and he's like, well, you know, so many people are going into programming and technology. It's going to be so saturated when you graduate and there's not going to be any jobs for you. So I don't really recommend that. You know, what else? What are you good at? You know, what's your highest grade? So I was like, he looked at my grades and he's like, okay, you're getting a 97 in biology. I think biology would be great for you. <laughs> so I ended up in biology when I ended up doing a, you know, four years undergrad program in biology. And right after the second year, I wished that I was in business. I used to have roommates in university and they were doing projects on the stock programs and all these things that I had no idea about, but I was just so fascinated and interested in. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I decided I was going to stick with the program and complete it because mm-hmm. otherwise I, I'd be set back or set behind some years. 
Um, and so uh, I finished it, but, you know, immediately after, like maybe a couple of years later, I ended up doing my MBA and um, totally switched out of biology and did a major in um, strategic marketing. And then, you know, serendipitously, several years later, I ended up um, meeting someone and my husband and I started a software company because mm-hmm. he was an engineer and I ended up in software and, you know, I would do interviews and no one could tell I never did engineering. So, you know, Let, let's go back for a second. So you worked for, you know, somebody else prior to launching that business. And what was that experience like and what made you want to take that jump with your husband of starting a business eventually? Yeah, that's really interesting. That's a great question. So, um, and again, like I'm filled with these like moments and these little stories and time that Mm -hmm. sort of have shaped where I've gotten. Um, So after my MBA program, um, I applied, anybody who graduates out of marketing, like the coveted jobs are, you know, Unilever and P&G. So I applied uh, for a job in Unilever and I was was hired in in the marketing department in, in a trade marketing role. And I remember, you know, I spent a year there and I remember sort of, you know, I was really great at my job. In the first three hours, I would pretty much be done everything and I would get reviews. And they're like, Melody's so fast. She responds so quickly to our needs. Everything comes back to us. I remember sitting the rest of the day and like walking around asking people, can I do anything for you? Like, what else can I do? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 so like I, there was always I felt like there was always more that I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this one day it was like a, we had a celebration, like a celebration And if you could imagine the way the space was set up is, you know, there were these corner offices and these outside offices that were on the outside of like a corporate building that were on the window side. And then there was a corner, a couple of corner offices. And then we like sort of the entry level were in the middle. Right. And and we were celebrating like the 20th anniversary of the director who had the corner office. So then right. I sat there with this calculation in my head and I'm like, okay, so I have to go from this cubicle to this cubicle and then to this <laughs> office and then the next office and then the one with the window and then make it to the corner office. And I got to do this for the next 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of knew, um, you know, and then uh, at the one year point, I sort of went to my boss. I said, this is amazing. I've gained really great experience. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have anything else lined up at this moment, but I know that whatever it is, it's going to have to be my own thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I quit not having another job. Okay. Um, and then, uh, you know, really soon after, um, my he was my fiancé, but later, later my husband, mm-hmm. uh, we were coming back from our honeymoon and he said, you know, I think we should start our own business. We don't have children. We don't have anything to risk that's really that large right. at this point, point in our lives. And so that was when we sort of took the plunge and took our first, you know, foray into entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Was was it, uh, you know, you talked about kind of evaluating risk and thinking, you know, it's we can do it now. We don't have kids yet. Was it a risky venture for you? Did you did you feel like this was going to be a, a big gamble? So, I mean, we I obviously said, I, I you know, there wasn't any risk, but, mm-hmm. you know, we ended up uh, starting a software company. We hired a bunch of people and we got a first client. Our first client was, you know, miraculously, we had contact and was Rogers. But we pretty impressive um, as a first client. It was amazing, but like we had to hire people and we had to get work done, and so yeah. we didn't have tons and tons of savings. We mm-hmm. had a house with some equity, and you know the way those big companies take a really long time before they pay you. It's like right. net sixty days, and right. then they lose a check, and then they send another one. <laughs> so we're literally like at the end of our like we have like zero dollars left in our account, and uh, we basically went to the bank and we're like, listen. 
this we're doing this thing and we have equity in our home. We mm-hmm. need the hundred thousand that's in the home, and we, you know we kind of need to take that and pay our employees. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was risky. It was risky, definitely. And for us, the risk was you know we take the risk on our house. The so, you know for right. us the worst case scenario was we're gonna have to move into the basement of like my mom's house. <laughs> <laughs> there was a plan B at least. There was, oh, yeah, there was a plan B and I had the support of my family. And so yeah. I was like, uh, you know, living in my mom's basement, not so bad. We can start over again. But right. there was a risk. We took the risk and uh, I think and there it was paid a off. Yeah, it paid yeah. off. Yeah, so we're not talking off. about that, but your first company was highly <laughs> successful. Uh, you were recognized by Forrester Research as being the poster child for apps, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And the Globe and Mail even uh, dubbed you specifically the queen of apps. So that's <laughs> that's pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, Yes, thank you. We had a, you know, we were, I mean, you know, people ask entrepreneurs, is it luck? Is it hard work? And, you know, I cannot, yes, it's hard work, but you, you know, you cannot downplay luck. I think we mm-hmm. ended up uh, being really early in an industry. Yeah. Um, you know, we recognized it as an industry, but the industry really exploded on us as we were, you know, in the forefront of it. So mm-hmm. that I think played a big factor and, and we took advantage of it. Mm. And then you chose to exit. So you sold the mm-hmm. business to Havis and you mm-hmm. became CEO of the Havis Canadian division and you stayed there for a while. So what was that experience like after, you know, being at the helm of your own uh, organization yeah. and now going back to working for somebody else? Yeah, you know, um, I I loved the period where we were building the business and we were growing and it was our own business. Right. I loved sort of having my uh, height set high on uh, scaling the business, being able to be part of a larger group where we could take advantage of all this, like I call it grown up process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was amazing. And we did some really amazing things under the Havas umbrella and, 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 and I learned a lot. Um, but I got to a place, you know, after two years as CEO where I felt like I had done 15 years of the same thing. Right. Yeah. And I could I could close my eyes and I could do and handle all of the work and the client work and I wasn't learning anymore. Right. And I think for me, my barometer of sort of where I am in my career and how I feel about it has to do a lot with the, the learning component. Okay. Thing, yeah. th- things that make it interesting and exciting and fun to do because I've never mm-hmm. done it before. And something that offers you growth where you get to learn and, and grow through the experience. 100%. And while I think in a large company like that, and this is exactly similar to Unilever, I think growth is possible. I think mm-hmm. the pay- pace of growth is something that doesn't suit my personality. Right. So mm, that's so interesting. <laughs> well, I, so, I like I like how you're phrasing that. I've also experienced working in the corporate world and now owning my own business. And it's absolutely true, right? Nothing compares to what you learn on the ground when you're running your own business. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not glorious all the time. Yeah. You know, you <laughs> sometimes you're cleaning the floor and hanging curtains. And right. sometimes you're in boardrooms with like the biggest you know, CEOs of the world. So you know, you're kind of doing it all. Yeah. Well, somebody said to me early on, you'll notice that the highs are higher and the lows are lower. So maybe uh, cleaning the floor would be part of the lows at some point. But <laughs> absolutely. Actually, the list of questions you gave me mm-hmm. was at the end when you asked me for three tips, the yeah. highs are highs and the lows are lows or absolutely That's one of them. <laughs> Well, we're not, we'll, we'll get there, we'll in, get in, there. A, in a moment, <laughs> but I like how I predicted that for you. Mm, you um, sure did. 
what's what's the biggest thing you learned? And I'm I'm curious, well, you just named one of them, realizing that, you know, the pace of growth is more interesting when you own your own business. And ultimately, I think that's what you were getting at. You left Havis to start yet another business. But what would be kind of a, you know, a big lesson uh, from your from your years running uh, Plastic Mobile? Um, I think the... I think my biggest lesson, honestly, and the thing that I learned being an entrepreneur um, is that I say this all the time, you know, I did business school and one of the courses I ignored the most was human resources. (laughs) And then (laughs) and that came back to bite you, I bet. I remember the first year of business saying, why didn't I pay any attention (laughs) in that class? People are the hardest part of this job. Absolutely. So I think the most challenging is honestly uh, realizing that you are going to be dealing with a lot of different people yeah, uh, and people have different needs and mm-hmm. uh, people work differently mm-hmm. and, and having to um, learn and teach yourself uh, how, how to handle these kinds of situations, I think are really important, right. um, especially if you want to build a business that, you know, uh, you know, cares about their employees, is responsible and, you know, is forward thinking. I think those are really important. And so mm-hmm. that was the most, for me, that was always the most challenging um, and and also the most rewarding. I've built some of my best friends through some of the companies and I still have relationships. Um, mm-hmm. I have a group of, uh, you know, eight girls that we all work together at Plastic and we, ha- we have a book club. We've been meeting for five years. None of us work there anymore. But we meet, you know, once every couple of months and, and we still are together. So they're the hardest part, but the mm-hmm. most rewarding part of, mm. of being an entrepreneur. That's so interesting. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs make the, not necessarily a mistake, but go in the business thinking they'll focus on what they're really good at and what the business is about, right? So if you're in a marketing business, great, I excel at marketing, but you end up doing probably 60% other things than marketing when you own the business. Uh, and oh. that, can, that can be a bit of a, you know, a rude awakening for, for some of us. Um, tell me about the next chapter. So you saw a new opportunity to start a business. How did that come about? Um, okay, so that was interesting. I'll tell you sort of how I, we fell into the health space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Uh, 2020 hit and I had made the decision that I, I I was at a place where I wasn't learning anymore. The pandemic hit. Um, and I think I felt like that was a perfect time for me to take some time off. Right. Um, uh, you know, I'd given my notice and I, I, I left basically, I think May, 2020 and pandemic started in March. And the goal was to, uh, I called it a sabbatical to mm-hmm. take the next, you know, all of 2020 and call it a sabbatical, take, take some time and figure out what I want to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, I have three young children, so maybe spend some time winding down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, a friend of mine, uh, I'm, we're part of an, uh, an organization called YPO, and a friend of mine yep. who's also part of the organization reached out to myself and Seth and said, you know, it's the pandemic. There's, you know, the government needs help and, and we need people in software. We need to build this, this software that gates places like schools so that, mm-hmm. you know, people say whether they have symptoms and the school can manage it. And so... You know, we, we were like, okay, this sounds like a, like a really great thing to do, really get involved in the pandemic and try to fix it, try to change something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think the year that I wanted to take, I wanted to take to, to identify what I wanted to do next. And I knew one of the criteria needed to be that I wanted it to mean something to me and be impactful. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So yes, yeah. yes, I that wanted the two, the two boxes. Yeah. So yes, I wanted to be in a business because like I'm sort of really entrepreneur at heart, but I wanted to be meaningful and 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 do some good basically. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, "How are you going to be more meaningful and do good than this? It's a pandemic. You got to come help." So we said, "Fine." We started, you know, two weeks after basically uh, stopping working, we started on the uh, on this venture. Um, really quickly, we realized that in order to have really good data within our software, we actually needed people to test. The only way we knew people were sick or not, we needed them to actually test to see if they did have COVID or didn't. So we started talking to some of the big labs, but they're not very—they're not really quick and not really fast yeah. at sharing their data. So we're yeah. like, why don't we just set up a pilot? We'll just do our own testing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we set up a, a location to do testing, and, and the business ended up becoming FH Health. Before mm-hmm. we knew it, we had 25 locations, and we were testing, <laughs> you know, like 10,000 people a day at the height of the pandemic. And wow. they were travelers, and they were people who needed to see their parents abroad. And it really became... You know, I remember the very first day I went into the clinic and, and, and this guy came in, he's almost crying. And he's basically like, I'm so grateful that this service exists. My mom is dying back home and I need a test to get on the mm. airplane because mm-hmm. no one's letting me get on an airplane without a test. And you guys are the only ones offering this test in like a quick turnaround. And, right. and there was there were, they, they didn't have any way of doing it otherwise. Mm-hmm. So I really... At that time, we felt like we were helping so many people, like people who needed surgeries and needed testing. So yeah. all sorts of use cases that people didn't recognize and mm-hmm. didn't think about um, that we were servicing. Um, and then, you know, then we fell into the area of health. And yeah. that was just, you know, it felt like being from software, it, it felt like we had gone back 30 years. Wow. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so much opportunity. So you know, that it sort of kind of set us on the path, you know, if we're mm. able to do with COVID in the span, uh, in such a short, short span of time and, uh, you know, make such bounds and leaps and bounds and efficiency and building software as a platform, mm-hmm. why can't we do it for another industry? Right. So we did the, the COVID testing for two years and now what we've actually ventured into and I, uh, you know, it comes a bit of, I would say it's like a, a, a personal linkage, um, is the fertility space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the space, again, like all medicine is sort of, uh, you know, I would say is behind. I think we can, with technology and patient experience, I think we can really transform the space. And, you know, we've partnered with um, some amazing doctors mm-hmm. and and, um, and and we're we're really bringing a change in the fertility space that I think is going to to be great for customers, for consumers and, and, and the industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward. That brand is called Pollen. Okay. Um, we, ho- we hope to be, you know, open uh, hopefully by, you know, July or August of this year. Um, and we're, and, and you know, remember when I told you I'm learning? I'm learning a lot. <laughs> <laughs> this season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women and Enterprise and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice, puts guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can all share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. 
Well, I was going to ask that question. You know, twice when you started your business, it was an area that maybe wasn't, you know, some something you were an expert in. So first with apps um, and digital marketing overall, and now with health and fertility specifically. So how, you know, what's that learning curve like, and how do you make sure um, you're you're kind of you know getting getting the information you need, the data you need uh, to be uh, to be successful in those areas that are new for you? So I think um, part of entering a new space takes courage mm-hmm. because I think people are often scared that they don't know enough. Right. But I don't think as an entrepreneur, your job is to know everything. I think our job is to be able to align the right teams and the right people to get to Mm. a solution for what you're looking for. So Mm -hmm. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a fertility doctor. I'm not Mm -hmm. an REI. And I know, you know, nothing when it comes to the medicine and and that part of the business. Right. So we spent the first six months basically hunting down and talking to 50 doctors and Mm -hmm. finding the perfect one that was going to represent a brand that believed in our technology mission and vision Mm -hmm. that wanted to change the space and that had the right knowledge and expertise to help us get there. So there you go. Check. I have the medicine now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have a business partner who's in uh, marketing and communication that helps. uh, He has one of the largest um, advertising agencies independently owned advertising agencies and he's he's one of our partners so he's helping us with the branding mm-hmm. and the marketing and bringing it to market um, my partner sep he his background is you know he's a software engineer we built um plastic together so mm-hmm. uh the platform and the technology that's being built we have experts there so it's about assembling the right team bringing all the yeah. elements that make good business and then working towards solving problems mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. my expertise is problem solving right right um uh, I don't have well, you know, a little more than that. You're also leading that entire team. <laughs> sure, sure. But, you know, I always say I put out fires, you know, right. I, I hire a lot of amazing people and they come to me when they can't like they're sort of stuck and mm-hmm. we solution and we get to 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 solve a problem and to get somewhere. So mm-hmm. um, I think that I think I think that's what uh, it takes. So, mm-hmm. yes, it's scary because you're going into a new field. But if you align yourself with the right people, then I don't think it has to be scary. Right, right. Um, what's your definition of leadership? And you've just talked about your, you know, abilities as putting, you know, a, a problem solver who puts out fires. But kind of beyond that, you're also now, uh, you know, in an, in an industry, in a niche that's really pioneering, you know, groundbreaking. We have so much still to research and 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 develop and implement when it comes to fertility for for women Absolutely. and we know that in in the field of uh, of you know any any type of medical research women are typically underserved so i'm glad you're Absolutely. you're tackling that but overall how do you define yourself as a leader i mean i think one of the biggest one of the things that's most important to me in leadership is to be uh present and approachable for your team mm-hmm. i think oftentimes in leadership position, people are scared of you or feel like they can't come to you. Mm -hmm. They think that they need to solve everything on their own. And I used to say the best employees I've ever had are the ones who aren't afraid to ask good questions. Mm -hmm. So not like ask me a question that you could just Google, like where's the address, but real questions (laughs) and coming to me like with real problems Mm -hmm. and having the courage to sort of say, I don't know. Right. Um, But I also think it's on leaders to be approachable and to be a person in their companies to allow their team to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. I think that to me is really important in leadership. I think the other thing that's important is being able to properly position and and have people in the right roles. Mm -hmm. Sometimes 
you know, you have some employees and who you feel, you know, that aren't thriving. I don't think that makes that person a bad person or, or terrible at their job. It just means that the job they're in isn't right for them. And right. I, often, oftentimes, you know, it's about figuring out what people are good at and putting them into things and areas that they can thrive and, and really shine. Mm-hmm. So I think that's also important, being able to, to determine that. Mm-hmm. Um, problem solving is important. Like, uh, I think if you, as an entrepreneur specifically, I think problem solving is important. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, that would be my answer. And what's the secret to working alongside your partner, your husband in mm-hmm. business? Um, we've, I've spoken mm-hmm. to, you know, a few guests who, uh, who are partners with, uh, with their significant other. Uh, how, how do you make it work? Swim lanes. <laughs> we have swim lanes. <laughs> Great answer. Yeah. So I think, um, and it's actually funny because we, uh, came up with swim lanes before we came, before we became business partners. Okay. So when we got married, for example, you know, we, we used to joke around, like I used to care about design in the house. So Mm -hmm. I said, uh, I'm the director of design. And so my design decision-making should trump, you know, sort of your opinion about what you think pillows should look like. Right. And you can be the director of technology and, you know, electronic equipment. And I don't get, I don't get to comment on what TV you get to buy. Right. And so I think we sort of carry that same concept into business. Mm -hmm. And so we have our swim lanes. Like I trust that he's very good at the things that he's really great at. Mm -hmm. um, And he uh, respects and trusts the things that I'm really good at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and while, for example, you know, he's, he runs technology and he's really great at technology. He's also really good at business development. Right. So like, you know, he'll assume those roles. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I will assume other roles like operations. I love the operating side of the business and he doesn't mm-hmm. really love that. I love the handling with the finance teams and working with the, with the financial numbers. And that's not really, you know, his favorite. And mm-hmm. so we sort of, we've divided the roles and tasks. And mm-hmm. I think after 15 years, it's just really easy. We yeah. know who sits where. Yeah. And you complement each other well to start because you're able to have those defined areas of expertise where you don't overlap. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. I think what gets really tricky is when everybody wants to make the same decision together. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that gets hard because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, some of these decisions are opinions and I may think something's going to work and you may think something else is going to work. And mm-hmm. you don't really know until you try it anyway. So mm-hmm. I, I think you're absolutely right. The fact that we have different um, swim lanes, I call them, makes it a bit easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about uh, support for women entrepreneurs, female founders specifically. I mean, you're in a situation where, you know, you're, you're co-owner of businesses with, with your partner, uh, but I know you're very involved in supporting other women entrepreneurs as well. Why is it still so important in 2023 to offer support, to give visibility to female founders? Yeah. And are we moving the needle finally? So look, I think... Uh, as I was preparing for this interview, I got a, a, an email from uh, one of the networks I'm part of, and it was like 2% of female entrepreneurs funded. And mm-hmm. I'm like, there you go. Like, that's my answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're still at 2%. Only 10% of TSX listed companies have women female CEOs. There, we are still so far below the 50% mark right. that I think specific support is still warranted. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I look forward to a day where, you know, nobody calls me a female CEO and yeah. I'm just a CEO. Exactly. 
And I hope for my daughter that, I, you know, when she gets to be that, which I hope she does, that it doesn't matter if she's a she, a he, a they, a them, mm-hmm. or whatever she is, um, then then it's fine. Mm-hmm. But I think we're not there yet. No. Are we improving? Are we getting better? Uh, you know what? I'm an, I'm a female entrepreneur, and maybe 50 years ago that would have been unheard of. Yep. So I mm-hmm. I think I think we are moving the needle. Mm-hmm. But I think it also takes support from women mm-hmm. um, and men, to be honest, to move that needle. Um, and, and so yeah, I, I do think support is still needed. And mm-hmm. I as a fem- as a female entrepreneur and somebody that you know, can, can, can be a force in that space. Uh, I will 100% support it. I, I hire lots of females. I coach females through roles. I work, um, with entrepreneurs who are fundraising and mm-hmm. just as like, just like on a voluntary basis where they reach out to me, I have coffees with them monthly mm-hmm. to help to position their pitch. Like I do what I can to support, um, the females around me. Mm. So, and I think all women should do that. Yeah. I, mean, I think men. Yeah. Should, I think men should do it too. But exactly, yeah, we need we need those allies who can you know open doors for us when we can't open them ourselves. Totally. Um, we're at the question you've prepared for, so <laughs> <laughs> we know we know one of your top three uh, pieces of advice for for women entrepreneurs. So, what what are the uh, other two? And also, I still want to hear your version you know, of highs yeah. are highs and lows are low. Sure. So I think like. Three things. So the first thing I would say is if you're starting a business and you, you're an entrepreneur, the first thing you need to do is find yourself a partner. Mm, interesting. To me, having a partner, and now I have more than one partner. Mm-hmm. So before it was like mostly Sep and I, and now I have other business partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and entrepreneurship is hard. Starting mm-hmm. a business is hard. There are times where you need somebody who feels the same thing as you, mm-hmm. even if they just want to feel terrible with you. Right. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's just needed, you know? Mm-hmm. And then there are other times where like, you know, you, you feel terrible and someone sort of has to bring you up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think a business partner can do that. I also think sharing the workload and mm-hmm. having somebody there when things just feel really tough is so important. So that's my first advice to all entrepreneurs. That's so interesting. And I I know people are like partners are hard and it's hard to get along with people. And that is true. Mm -hmm. But I think doing a business on your own might be harder. Right. Interesting. Okay. So that's my first advice. My second thing would be there are really, really high high highs and low lows. Mm -hmm. And you need to have a sort of a coping mechanism Mm -hmm. or like we, my husband and I used to call it a reset button. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Our reset was sleep. So we'd have the worst day. Like the pitch failed and this person quit and the lease is up and we don't have another space. And like everything that could go wrong in mm-hmm. one day has gone wrong. And that client is so angry and has called you 15 times. We would just be like, okay, you know what? It's eight o'clock. We're sleeping in two hours. That'll be a reset. Tomorrow morning is going to be a brand new day. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, for us, it was amazing what a night's sleep would do and mm-hmm. how problems that were so bad the night before. Easier the next day, right? So much easier yeah. the next day. Yeah. And so, you know, for us, it was the sleep. But for mm-hmm. other people, it could be meditation, exercise, mm-hmm. vacation, whatever it has to be. I think that kind of like healthy reset mm-hmm. is so necessary. Mm-hmm. 
And and a lot of women forget the importance of rest in general or whatever the reset, you know, version is, Might right? Be. Because totally. we think we're we're so wired to just go, 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 over deliver, prove ourselves, and then we have the extra, you know, burden of uh, a, a lot of family, childcare, a thousand housekeeping, other things. Exactly. Absolutely. But it's so important. I, I, I agree. My reset is also a good night's sleep. Yeah, like a good night's sleep. So that's you know, figure out what your reset is. Mm-hmm. And then the third one, which is like so super cliche is, you know, do, this is what I say, do what you love or at least what you like enough (laughs) and figure that you're going to be doing it for the next 10 to 15 years. Uh Yeah. And you, and you have to wake up every morning and you, you need to want to do it because Mm -hmm. it's going to get hard. And when it's hard, it's nice to at least like what you're doing. Yeah. Well said. And so I think that that is something, you know, I would say mm-hmm. to people who are sort mm-hmm. of, I want to be an entrepreneur, and I, want, and I want to be an entrepreneur, and I want to do this. Mm-hmm. I think those are sort of my three learnings through the years, things I've had to sort of figure out. Love it. On that last one, a coach has said to me, you know, it's it's an easy decision. If it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. I actually, I actually said this to my son. We were, uh, we were driving, and he's like, "Turn, turn, turn!" And I'm like, "When there's doubt, you don't." Mm-hmm. So this is the same, right? If it's not, yeah. you know, if you if you don't totally, if you know, if you think in the back of your mind it's a no, then just don't do it because it's not going to be easy. It's and a listen hard to journey. listen to your gut and your intuition when you're trying to make those decisions. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. In closing, uh, what's on your vision board for you know the the for twenty twenty three the months ahead? We're still early enough in the year. Could be business related, could be personal related. What's coming up for you? You know, for us, for me, right now, everything is pollen and everything mm-hmm. is women's reproductive health. Amazing. I think this journey, you know, what obviously it started for me as as, as partially personal. And as I go into the space and learn more about how underfunded, underrepresented, uh, sort of backlogged on surgeries um, and all of that stuff, for us to build a fertility and reproductive health brand for women Mm -hmm. um, and working towards, you know, changing some of that is such a big goal and a big task. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's not for me, it's not, you know, 2023. For me, it's the next five to 10 years. Right. Um, and I'm really excited about it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing a change in a space that I'm really passionate about. And, and remember, I told you it needs to mean something and it needs yeah. to like have impact. I think this is exactly the kind of thing I need to be in that is personal. It means something and it's mm-hmm. going to have really great impact. Absolutely. And I think in, you know, at this point in time, this is one of the greatest challenges for our health, for women specifically over the next, you know, five, 10 years and beyond. So you're, you're tackling something really important. Thank you. I, I, I hope so. I hope, I mean, I know we're going to be successful because I don't think, I, you know, entrepreneurs wake up in the morning and they say it has to happen. So yeah. it has to happen and we will yeah. make it happen. Because women need us to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, it was amazing speaking to you, hearing about your journey. Can't wait to see uh, what you're up to with Poland. We'll have to check in and, and, you know, follow up on on your success with that project. Thank you so much for making time today. Oh, thank you so much. It was a wonderful conversation. Uh, Looking forward to chatting again. 
Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening today. If you did enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Yeah.